This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. At least 12 people are believed dead after an attack on a hotel in Mogadishu, the capital of Somalia. Al-Shabaab, a jihadist group with links to al-Qaeda, has claimed responsibility for the ongoing siege. It began with car bombs on Friday night. This is the first major attack by al-Shabaab since Hassan Sheikh Mohammed was elected president in May. The group already controls much of the Somali countryside. A drone reportedly struck the headquarters of Russia's Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol, Crimea, with another shot down nearby. As with other recent strikes in Crimea, much remains unexplained about the perpetrators and origins of the latest attacks, but they provide further evidence of Russian vulnerability far from the front line of the war. America called for the immediate release from a Siberian prison of Alexei Navalny, the leading Russian opposition politician. Saturday marked two years since Mr. Navalny's attempted assassination by Russian agents. Olaf Scholz, the chancellor of Germany, where the politician recovered from his poisoning, praised his bravery in a video message. Mr. Navalny was imprisoned after returning to Russia in early 2021. Greece reached the end of a period of enhanced surveillance by the European Union. It will now have greater freedom to implement economic policy and should become a more attractive investment proposition. Public debt woes forced the country to turn to the Eurozone and the IMF for a first bailout in 2010. The surveillance lasted for four years after it exited the third such program in 2018. Mexico arrested the prosecutor who had led the investigation of a notorious disappearance of 43 student teachers in 2014. With former Attorney General Jesus Murillo in custody, another 83 warrants were ordered for the arrest of other officials, police, and gang members. According to Mr. Murillo's investigation, the students were murdered and dismembered by drug traffickers in a case of mistaken identity. The current government suspects the Mexican state itself played a sinister role. Finland's prime minister took a drug test to quell a brouhaha over video footage of her partying and dancing with friends. Sanna Marin, aged 36, said the results would put to rest the grave public accusations that she had used drugs, though she called the demands for her to take a test unjust. The results will be available in a week. At least 16 people died in southern Turkey after a bus collided with emergency teams working at the scene of an earlier accident. The dead include bus passengers and two journalists who had stopped to help at the site where a car had left the highway. More than 20 people were injured. And word of the week, umaibo, meaning delicious stick in Japanese, and the name of a beloved puffed corn treat that made national news this year when its price increased for the first time since 1979. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Rayla Odinga's Last Gamble... Rayla Odinga is the nearly man of Kenyan politics. He has stood in five presidential elections, come second in four, and would probably have won at least one were it not rigged. Now 77 years old, his seemingly final shot at redemption comes on Monday, when he is expected to challenge his latest defeat in the Supreme Court. Mr. Odinga lost Kenya's election of August 9th to William Ruto, the outgoing deputy president by just 1.6% of the vote. 
Given that Mr. Odingo was the favored candidate of the departing president, Uhuru Kenyatta, proving fraud might be tricky. Sitting governments tend to cheat their opponents rather than candidates they're backing. Mr. Odinga may instead emphasize a split in the Electoral Commission. Four of its seven commissioners questioned the result, suggesting that 142,000 votes had been miscounted, potentially enough to force a runoff. But that later turned out to be a basic mathematical error, undermining their credibility. Mr. Odinga might have to settle for silver again. The EU's Russian Holiday Dilemma European summer holidays are reaching their apogee, but a question looms over the continent's beaches. Should Russians be allowed to join them? There are currently no air links between Russia and the West, but some sun-seekers are traveling overland to places like Helsinki or flying to a non-EU country before transiting onwards as they please. Yet a push to stop issuing visas to Russians is gaining steam. The Estonian government has banned those with Estonian-issued visas from entering the country, while this week Finland said it would curtail the number of visas issued to Russians. Fearing a block-wide ban, Russians are now scrambling to grab EU visas while they can. Hawks think it unfair that Russians can live as if their country hadn't started a war on the continent. Others, including Olaf Scholz, the German chancellor, say sanctions should punish Russia's politicians, not its people, if only because Ukrainian authorities are lobbying for a Russian visa ban, the issue will have to be hashed out by the EU grandees. After the holidays, that is. The Studio Saving Cinema Four of the ten highest-grossing films of the 21st century belong to the Marvel franchise. Talk to a cinephile, and they will bemoan the state of an industry dominated by superhero action fests and uninspired reboots. Studios no longer make mid-budget movies, or so the argument goes. It's either blockbusters or niche art house fare. But one studio has bucked the trend. A24, an American firm which celebrates its 10th birthday this weekend, has had striking success championing high-quality auteur-led projects. The formula has garnered both acclaim and fans. Moonlight, a coming-of-age drama, and Minari, about Korean immigrants in America, won Oscars, while the TV show Euphoria drew over 16 million viewers an episode. It is a financially savvy model, too. A24's success in creating popular entertainment with low budgets has attracted backers. A $225 million investment this year valued the company at $2.5 billion. That is a long way behind established industry players such as Disney, Paramount, or Warner Brothers, but it is the young company that is making cinema interesting again. Return to Westeros Game of Thrones, which aired from 2011 to 2019, was an era-defining hit. It won more Emmy Awards than any other drama series in history and made Swords and Sandals epics a priority for every network, but its rushed and somewhat illogical ending disappointed. Although the whole saga is still ranked as the 13th best series of all time on IMDb, a review site, with a 9.2 average rating, its finale scores just 4.1. 
Even George R. R. Martin, the author of the Game of Thrones books, has distanced himself from the series' ending. On Sunday, HBO will expand its franchise with the premiere of House of the Dragon, the first of many planned spin-offs. Its stakes are low. Watchers of Game of Thrones will know how the prequel unravels, but it is an expertly produced return to form, with many welcome changes, such as less emphasis on sexual violence and a more diverse cast. At least in its first season, HBO is likely to have another series adored by fans and envied by its competitors. Weekend Profile Fonnie Willis, the local prosecutor taking on Trump world. It does not matter what your notoriety is, what your fame is. If you come to Fulton County, Georgia, and you commit crimes, we are going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. So said Fonnie Willis, the local district attorney in May, unveiling gang-related charges against Young Thug, a Grammy-winning rapper, and 27 others. Young Thug denies the charges. But they could equally be seen as a warning to Donald Trump, another celebrity in Miss Willis's sights. For months, Ms. Willis has been investigating attempts by Mr. Trump and his allies to overturn his 2020 election loss in Georgia. Mr. Trump has denied wrongdoing. Her probe, one of several he faces, is sprawling. Among its targets are Rudy Giuliani, Mr. Trump's former lawyer, and the Republican fake electors who falsely tried to certify the vote for the former president. Charges, if and when they come, might allege a coordinated criminal scheme to commit election fraud. Ms. Willis has a history of using racketeering laws which target criminal enterprises like the Mafia. In 2013, she used these laws to secure an indictment against teachers and administrators for inflating pupils' exam scores in a case that made national headlines. Eleven of the twelve defendants were convicted. Her charges against Young Thug's cohort also allege racketeering. Ms. Willis is a formidable opponent, described as a street fighter in the courtroom. She has spent most of her career in the office she now leads. In 2020, she handily beat her former boss to win the top job. On her first day as district attorney, news broke of Mr. Trump's demand that Brad Raffensperger, Georgia's elections chief, find 11,780 votes. That notorious call launched a career-defining probe. Ms. Willis maintains that she takes no pleasure in going after a former president. Opponents say she is on a politically motivated crusade. Last month, a judge scolded her for hosting a fundraiser for the Democratic rival of a Republican whom she was investigating and disqualified her from pursuing him. Her inquiry is likely to last for months yet. As it gathers pace, Trump world may heed the words of 50 Cent, another rapper, on racketeering charges. Those laws were designed for you not to escape them. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Jin Hong Park, Suwon, South Korea. North America, Heather Burnett Gold, Leesburg, USA. Central and South America, 
Alvaro Tomas, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Finbogi Oskarsson, Reykjavik, Iceland. Africa, Richard Small, Johannesburg, South Africa. Oceania, John Wright, Auckland, New Zealand. They all submitted the correct answers of Mash, The Cask of Amontillado, Stephen Stills, Grain, and Dram. The theme is whiskey, which is mashed, matured in a cask, distilled in stills, made from grain, and a drink of which is often referred to as a dram. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Phyllis Diller, who died on August 20th, 2012. A smile is a curve that sets everything straight. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.